The John Morris Show, episode 53. You are now listening to The John Morris Show. My name is John Morris, Army veteran turned freelance web developer. And each week I bring you a fresh look into the latest news, advice, and next steps for the self-made web designer and developer to help you reach your dream of coding for a living faster. Thanks for giving me some of your time today. Now, let the episode begin. Hey there, everybody. John Morris here with johnmorrisonline.com, and welcome back to the John Morris Show. And man, am I excited today. I'm getting back on the podcasting trail with a lot better plan for what I want to do going forward. Hopefully have a show that is really going to help you out with your web development cl- career. You'll find both informative and entertaining. And so I have a lot planned for the show. I'm excited about the show. I put a lot of work into this episode. And so I really hope you enjoy it. Now, this episode, we're going to be talking a number of different things from mobile uh, online purchasing and what, what's been happening trend-wise lately and what that means for you as a web developer. We're also going to be talking about uh, several or a number of different tech tutorials that have come out that I want to point you to. We're going to be answering some of questions that you've submitted. We've got some freelancing stuff. We've got a whole slate filled for you here in today's show. Now, but before we get into some of that stuff, I want to start off talking about something that I came across uh, over the weekend, which was a blog post uh, that I was reading about an ex-Microsoft engineer's advice to programmers and what that advice was, which I thought was pretty interesting. And so uh, I'm going to want to talk about that a little bit. So what was what was his advice to programmers? Was it you know, maybe learning a certain language? Was it something about comments? What what was this Microsoft engineer's advice to programmers? Well, it's probably not something that you originally think of, but I think it's excellent advice. And his advice was on learning how to write. And so here's exactly what he said. He said, I would advise folks in software to do one thing, and that's write. Learn how to write. It's actually useful. You need to know how to express yourself, and it's really tough for a lot of engineers to step up and do public speaking. Once you create, this is this is probably the part, this is the most important part to me. Once you create a successful piece of software, you're probably going to be writing English as much as you're going to be writing Java or Objective-C. I've created multiple pieces of software at DocuSign that went viral and people liked them and wanted to use more of them. And I probably wrote 10 times the amount of documentation and explanation and answered questions in paragraph form. And then one of the comments uh, was really interesting on this blog post. So I'm going to link to uh, this article and every all the links that we talk about throughout the show. You can find over johnmorrisonline.com slash 53 for episode 53 of the podcast. You can find all these links. You can read this article yourself and see the comments. But one of the comments I thought was really kind of sums it up best, which was, you may be the best engineer in the building, but if others uh, sell their ideas better than you, their designs will make it into the product. Now, the reason I want to bring this up 
I want to start off the podcast with this is because this is really this is my kind of niche I think in this industry is having this conversation. I know other people are doing it, but I feel like I have a knack for this or this is the kind of thing that I'm uh, passionate about talking about, which is all of the stuff outside of coding that web developers, web designers, software engineers, etc. need to be doing in their career because I find that developers, coders, etc. get so focused on the code and that's that's easy for us to do. We, we kind of lock ourselves in our cave, but we convince ourselves of this false mindset that the code is all that matters. If you just focus on the code and get the code right, everything else is going to take care of itself. And it's just flat out not true. I can tell you that. You can read this article and go in the comments and see all the people saying the same thing. You can listen to this ex-Microsoft engineer. Uh, there are plenty of other things outside of coding that are as important and frankly, in a lot of cases, more important than your actual skill as a programmer. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't be skilled as a programmer, that you shouldn't focus on your skills. Absolutely, you should. But that's not all there is to it. If you want to have a successful web development career, whether that's as a freelancer, whether that's getting hired at a tech company, whether that's building apps like this individual, you need to do the other things outside of just the code in order to have that career. And I find that a lot of the people that I hear from, their problem isn't their coding skills. That's not the problem they're having. The problem is something else outside of that. Uh, and as he mentioned, uh, you know, it, 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 it's often difficult for engineers, for developers, for coders to express themselves and frankly, to sell themselves. And, and honestly, if you haven't realized at this point that you're going to have to, you may hate sales. You may think all salespeople are slimy, sleazy people. You may think you're above it, whatever. If you haven't realized at this point in your career that you're going to have to sell yourself, your ideas, your products, etc., cetera, uh, then you are behind the game. And, and that would be the most important thing that you could probably start learning how to do outside of uh, your technical coding. So very, very interesting article, something I thought was very pertinent to our industry and uh, wanted to start off the show with that. All right, as I mentioned, uh, we got a number of segments coming up in the show. In the first segment, we're going to be talking about some of the latest news uh, in the tech world and some of the news that I think is important for you to keep in mind uh, for your career and as you move forward as a web developer. Coming up later on the show, uh, I have some mindset questions that, or, or maybe a, a bit of a rant that I'm going to address. I, uh, it's a kind of a question. It's not really a question. It's more of a statement that I often get that I want to uh, address that I think hurts a lot of people when it comes to their career. We're also going to be talking about speeding up PHP processing tasks with queuing and talk a little bit about how you can actually queue tasks in PHP. And then I'm going to point you to a resource that's really going to help you. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about why you should do it and explain some of the basics and then send you to a resource that's going to help you actually get it done. We're also, as I mentioned, going to be talking a little bit about freelancing and what I think is the little talked about secret to success on 
Upwork, something that I don't see a lot of people writing blog posts about that I think is incredibly important. And then, of course, we'll close out the show with answering your questions. Of course, if you have a question for me on the podcast, you can always shoot it over to me at John Morris or John at JohnMorrisOnline.com. Or if you want to hit me up at Twitter at JP Morris or on YouTube at YouTube.com slash John Morris videos, I always try to get those on the show. All right. So we'll be back in a minute. You're listening to The John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. Hey, everybody. As you probably know, I constantly harp on using content to help you grow your audience and build your credibility as a web developer. But your web presence is nothing without a great hosting provider. So if you haven't yet, get your website up and running with a fast, reliable, and well-supported web host, Bluehost, for less than 6 bucks a month. You can check it out and get Bluehost's best price over at johnmorrisonline.com slash bluehost. All right, welcome back to the show. You're listening to The John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. And in this first segment here, I want to talk a little bit about some of the big news that's been happening online over the last week or so and, and point out some of the things that I think are important. So I was Always browse around Tech Meme and Tech Crunch and Hacker News and some of the different sites that are out there, seeing what's going on, and want to try and pluck out some of the news items that I think are important for you to take a look at. And some of these, honestly, some of these at first blush, you may think, well, what does that have to do with me? But I think it's vitally important to keep track of what's happening in the world at large, and then in the tech world as a whole, even if it's not specifically related to what you're doing. A good example of this was back in the days, if you were around in these days, the whole Web 2.0 craze was something that I didn't pay much attention to. And that was the change from where we had primarily text-based websites more to what we have now, which were you know, image-rich dynamic type websites this was the advent of things that seem common today like php and all the scripting languages and so forth this that was a trend that happened several years ago and i didn't pay attention to it and i actually uh, got caught up in it and there are a lot of other people that got caught up on it in it and lost careers lost businesses lost jobs so forth so I think it's crucial to pay attention to this stuff because it gives you a sense of where things are going and where you should be putting your attention and what you should be paying attention to. Right, so the the one that really stuck out to me was looking, uh, there's an article over on TechMeme. And again, I'll link to this, johnmorrisonline.com slash 53. For the show notes, you can get all the links. Uh, and it talks about, the headline is Thanksgiving Black Friday online sales hit $4.5 billion and 34% of those purchases were made on mobile. So here's exactly what the article says. The first two days of the holiday sales period have netted 4.45 billion in US online purchases with mobile devices led by smartphones accounting for a record 1.5 billion of that amount. So that's a, a new record. So obviously that means it's increasing. With And then it says with 2.72 billion spent on Black Friday, and $1.73 billion on Thanksgiving. And, of course, these figures come from Adobe, which has been tracking about 80% of the top 100 retailers. So that is very, very interesting to me, and I'll get to why in just a minute. And something I think 
that we should all be paying very close attention to. So it goes on to say mobile is still not as popular as desktop for buying things, but it's, and this is really pay attention to this, but it's definitely growing, especially as a place to browse. So mobile accounted for 60% of all online traffic on Thanksgiving, uh, which is what uh, from this, these numbers come from IBM, which is up 14.8% from a year ago. And it took 54.4% of traffic on Black Friday, which is up 16.6%. And on Thanksgiving, 40% of all sales were completed on mobile devices, which is another rise compared to last year, uh, when one-third of sales were made on smartphones and tablets. Now, why do I think this is important? Well, look, there's not necessarily, this shouldn't come as a big shock. There's not necessarily a big moral to the story here. But this is more evidence of what we already know, that mobile is continuing to grow. And it's important to remember for web developers, as you consider your path forward career-wise, mobile is continuing to grow for this foreseeable future, will continue to grow. Mobile payments are growing. And so it's probably a good idea to be diving into mobile development. There's a really good chance that five, 10 years from now, the the jobs that are gonna be available, the, the projects on freelancing sites and so forth are going to become more and more mobile-centric. And we've already seen a lot of that. Again, this isn't some big shock, but it's something to pay attention to when you're deciding, okay, which path should I take? Should I be learning PHP or should I be learning Objective-C or Swift or java for android development and so forth you know which way should i be going uh, should i learn all of these things which in the end is probably the answer but uh where should i focus first what's my niche you know and is that niche growing or is it shrinking and so forth so again uh, just something a very good idea to pay attention to because if you don't it's easy to get lost and be a master in some sort of technology that nobody uses anymore uh, and that's definitely not a place you want to be. This is also important if you're someone who's just building your own website for your own purposes. So if you're not making the shift to mobile first, then you're playing an ever smaller game because more and more people, I mean, the statistic about 60% of all online traffic on Thanksgiving was from mobile. That's crazy to me. What that tells you, and I can I can attest to this from my wife and I's browsing behavior. We went on the phone, looked up all the stuff that we wanted, did all of our research on our phones, and then we got together and came to my desktop and actually made the purchases. So if you're a site owner and you're not mobile first, you're not even getting the people that are browsing to make the decision. So they're never gonna come back to you on desktop to make the purchase. So if you've seen sales shrinking, there's probably a good reason why. Uh, they're not, they're doing that research on mobile and your site isn't something that's convenient and easy for them to use. And so they click away. So, uh, you know, if you're not seeing a lot, a ton of mobile traffic yet, this is, this is the hardest thing to convince people of. I didn't even believe this. I had been told this. I didn't believe it until I saw it with my own eyes on my own site that you don't get mobile traffic until you optimize for mobile. So what people do is they say, well, I'm only getting 1% of mobile traffic. Why am I going to spend all this time optimizing for mobile? 
Well, I was about the same way. I was only getting about 1% of my traffic from mobile. Then I optimized my site for mobile, and suddenly that jumped up to about 10% within a year. And it's just continuing to grow. So you don't get the mobile traffic. It's, it's essentially traffic that you're completely missing out on. So it's not like you get the traffic and then you optimize for it. It's really, in my experience, has been the other way around. You optimize for it, then you get it. So, and the reason I think that is is because people, you get one visit from people. They hit your site on mobile, they see it's terrible, and they either never come back to your site or then they go jump on de- desktop. And you, and that in in your analytics looks to you like a, a convenient experience. Looking at your site, but in reality, think about the people doing that. They go to your site, it's terrible, and then they're like, oh, I got to go to my computer. Now, what kind of mindset are they in when they get to your site at that point? So, uh, they're, they're, <laughs> you've already behind the eight ball in terms of winning them over. So, you optimize and then you get the traffic in my experience. So, uh, you're losing before you start if you're not going mobile first. So, that was kind of the big news that really stuck out to me uh, that I think is important development career-wise uh, as you look at your site and your career going forward. Some other news that was interesting, uh, this is more a little bit political, but the NSA is shutting down its bulk phone surveillance program as of, looks like yesterday here in the United States. I think that's probably a win for everybody, although there's probably some debate over how, you know, how intensive that actually is, but I guess we'll see. Um, and another one that I thought was interesting was, if you haven't heard about the VTech hack, um, there's an article again over on Tech Meme, and again I'll link to this johnmorrisonline.com/slash-53 about uh, essentially kind of how the hack happened. And it looks like it was uh, some pretty bad stuff, bad encryption. They had security questions in plain text. They had no SSL. They had old software. It was really just kind of a a hack waiting to happen. Is the phrase I like to use. So it's a good reminder for all of us that. You know, there's not necessarily if you have you know, someone who is just a genius hacker, you know, they may be able to find a way into your system. But most of the time, it's simple things, doing the things that have kind of become industry standards, like encrypting passwords the right way, not storing security questions in plain text, using SSL if appropriate, keeping your software up to date. I mean, these are all really kind of basic security measures. So it's a good reminder that if you're not doing these things, then you are a hack waiting to happen. And, you know, if you are, if you're being proactive about this stuff, you could there's you can do the things that you can do, you know. So get your basics down in terms of security. All right, so that was some of the news that I thought was interesting coming out over the last week or so. Things that I thought maybe we should all pay, be paying attention to. All right, coming up in the next segment, I'm going to be tackling what I think is a destructive mindset for web developers. And I'm going to be uh, telling you what I think you should be doing as opposed to having this sort of mindset. Also coming up later, we'll be talking about speeding up PHP processing tasks using queuing and the resource that you can use to help you do that. And of course, We'll wrap it up with your questions. 
All right, we'll be back in a minute. You're listening to The John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. One thing I get asked constantly is, what do I need to learn as a web developer? Well, here's my answer. HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, PHP and MySQL, WordPress, APIs, and mobile apps. Now, of course, learning all those would normally cost you years of your life or an arm and a leg. But fortunately, Rob Percival's complete web developer course on Udemy.com will teach all these essentials and more. And since it has over 118,000 other students and the most five-star ratings of any course on Udemy, it is a no-brainer. But here's what makes it even better. I've worked out an exclusive deal for my audience to get Rob's course for 85% off the regular price. To learn more about the course and get the discount, simply go to johnmorrisonline.com slash cwdc. Again, that's johnmorrisonline.com slash cwdc. And be sure to tell Rob, John sent you. All right, welcome back to the John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. And in this segment, I'm going to be tackling a destructive mindset. I, I, I think of this as a catch-22 mindset. So this is a message that I recently got. So let me just go ahead and read this. Of course, I'm not going to name any names, but it goes like this. I have no coding experience and no extra money to take any classes. I'm a semi-retired female, unmarried with social security income of too little. I must have extra source, an extra source of income just to live. And so uh, there's more obviously to this email, but these were the pertinent parts that kind of stuck out to me. And what I think is so destructive about this is, first off, let me say, I've been there. I I don't want this to come across as somebody who's uh, obtuse or naive to what this kind of experience is like. I grew up in a household with five brothers. My dad was in um, a bad car accident with my little brother and I when I was eight years old. He was a paraplegic most of his life. And, you know, my mom went from being a homemaker to having to be our primary bed breadwinner with no college degree, you know, no associates or tech or anything like that, and really no work experience. So you can kind of imagine what that scenario uh, might have looked like. It was a pretty tough childhood and kind of spilled over into my young adult life. Really, it wasn't until I got my act together with web development that I've been <laughs> been able to drag myself out of that, uh, to tell the truth. But so I've been there. I, I, I get where you're coming from. But uh, why I think this is a d- destructive mindset is at some point, you have to, you kind, you have to kind of pull up your pants and you have to make a decision because having been there, I know better. When people tell me that they have no extra money, I find it incredibly hard to believe because I've been there and I've seen people who say they have no money who have, you know, fancy cell phones and they have go out and buy, t- you know, TVs and big screen TVs or they have a uh, a really nice car that they they're paying for or so on and so forth. There's very few people, especially in the United States that 
have literally no money, okay, that are just paying bills and aren't spending money on anything else. And so to me, it's not about, it's, it, it's really never been about not having money. It's about having my priorities straight. And I did this. So I'm not, look, I'm not ragging on you if this is, you starting to feel like maybe you fall into this a little bit. I'm not ragging on you, right? I've been there. I've made those choices. But at some point, you have to decide to make the choice to invest in yourself as opposed to all of these things that you think are going to make you happy. Now, I think the reason that people don't isn't because they're bad people or they're lazy or anything. It's because they don't believe in themselves. That's why I think people do it. And they're scared to death to invest in themselves. But at some point, if you really want to get out of the situation you're in, you have to make the decision to just do it, to just go for it and invest in yourself. Because I know for a fact that at this point in time, there's never been a better time to learn how to code, to be a web developer, to design, and so forth. I know that because I came up in a time as a web developer when we didn't have Udemy didn't exist. There was no lynda.com. There was no Coursera. There was no boot camps. They just flat out didn't exist. So it wasn't like even if you had the money, you could get the, the, the classes. They just didn't exist. And so you had to figure it out all on your own. Today, I mean, you can go on a site like Udemy and get what is an amazing, complete, comprehensive web developer course for a couple hundred bucks. Now, it's crazy. to You can learn an entire skill set, everything that you need to know to start making that in, extra income for a couple hundred bucks. As in, as a matter of fact... With the coupon code that I have, you can do it for just 30 bucks. You can't tell me you don't have 30 bucks. I'm sorry, I don't believe it. Now, maybe if you live, you know, I, I haven't been all around the world. Maybe if you live in another country and, you know, the circumstances are different, then, okay, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. But this person clearly lives in the United States. You know, if you live in, in a, a country like the UK or Australia, Canada, Etc. And even a lot of, you know, these other countries where maybe the dollar exchange rate isn't great or whatever. I have to believe you can come up with 30 bucks. At some point, you have to make the decision to just go for it and invest in yourself. So I think it's an incredibly destructive mindset. The people who succeed in this industry are the people who don't focus on free they focus on good and fast. They're, they want to find the best training, the training that's going to teach them the skill that they need to learn the fastest. That's what they do. And that's why they're always ahead of everybody else. Because they're not, they're, they'll spend the money in themselves to set themselves up for the future. And so I just think it's a very destructive mindset and one that if you find yourself maybe resonating with a little bit, you really got to find a way to get yourself out of it. Free is not the answer. And I know that can seem self-serving, whatever. It's just the truth. It's the flat truth. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff out there, but the fastest way, 
are people who have invested a lot of time and a lot of energy into creating courses that they sell. That's that's the best way to do it. And so at some point you just you got to decide to invest in yourself. All right, so a little bit of a rant there, but uh, again, a mindset that I think is very destructive and hurts a lot of people. All right, coming up in the next segment, we're going to be talking, we're going to dive into finally processing PHP tasks, speeding up those processing for those tasks by using queuing. Also, we have coming up after that, the little talked about secret to success on Upwork, something I think a lot of people don't talk about. Finally, we'll end with your Q&A questions. All right, we'll be back in a minute. You're listening to The John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. Hey, quick question for you. Are you running a WordPress site? If so, then I want to recommend to you the premium WordPress hosting service, WP Engine. Now, what makes WP Engine different than a lot of web hosts out there is that it's designed specifically for WordPress with advanced caching and security implementation to keep your WordPress website up and running and running as fast as possible. And we all know how important speed is on the web these days. So if you're running WordPress and you don't have WP Engine yet, be sure to give it a look. You can get their best price at johnmorrisonline.com slash WP Engine. Again, that's johnmorrisonline.com slash WP Engine, all one word. Check them out. You're going to love your WordPress hosting. All right, welcome back to the John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. In this section, we're going to get geeky and techy, and we're going to talk a little PHP coding. And specifically, we're going to be talking about how to use a queue to speed up PHP processing tasks. And uh, I'm going to point you to a resource or tutorial over on phpclasses.org that I came across over the weekend that I uh, thought was very, very interesting and something that I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of web developers should know how to do. And it's a good tutorial. Uh, This is part one, so it doesn't go through everything that I'm going to kind of cover here, but it it introduces you to the idea and gets you started. And then obviously the remaining portions of that tutorial come out uh, and you can learn how to do this all the way through. So Let's talk about the basic concept of queuing slow tasks. What's the why do this? Well, what this allows you to do is allows you to offload resource intensive tasks to be performed after the initial script call. So let's say you're running some sort of processing. Maybe somebody fills out a form and uh, as a part of the processing script, you are going to send out emails or a number of emails, whatever the case is. Well, Sending those emails can be a resource-intensive task. And so what this allows you to do is instead of trying to do that right there in the processing of that form, which can cause the page load and the time for the experience for the user to be really slow, you can offload that and queue that. And so, again, we offload that task and we store what we essentially do is we create. There's a number of ways that you could do this, probably the way that I would recommend and in the tutorial, they actually cover several different ways. You could store it. You could use a, a text file. You could technically do it in the script itself, although that probably doesn't make any sense. You can store it in a database, so forth. But storing it in a database for me uh, is probably going to be the way to go most of the time. So you can store the necessary data in a database. Then you can run a scheduled task to execute through the queue at an er- interval 
and then clean up that queue as you execute. So here's, here's an example. First, you would start, let's say, again, as a part of a form, you have some sort of email sending that you need to do. So, uh, you know, the company I work with, uh, Wishlist Products, we have a, a plug-in Wishlist member. And as a part of that, you can send broadcast emails to the subscribers of your membership site. Well, you may have 10,000 subscribers. So if you try to send all of those 10,000 emails right when you hit go on send that broadcast message, you know, you're going to be sitting there waiting a while. You're probably going to get timeout errors and so forth because that's a lot of emails to send. So instead of doing that, what we do is we queue those emails. So we actually don't send any when you hit go. We just add them to the queue. And then we have a scheduled task that goes through and sends them out on an interval. And so that's what you do. You create a database table to store the queued emails. That stores the information about those queued emails. And then instead of sending the emails immediately in the script, you just send them to the queue. So you just store them over in that database. It's all basic kind of database management stuff. And then you could say every hour, this is purely an example, but every hour you could process 100 queue items. So you'd have a scheduled task that runs every hour. And in that, it would go through a hundred of those queue items, and it would uh, of those essentially those uh, recipients to send emails to, and it would send those hundred emails, and then it would stop, and then the next hour it would do a hundred more, and a hundred more, and a hundred more, and it would just keep processing in the background. So you you as the user create the broadcast email, you hit go, and then in the background it background it sends them out uh, accordingly. And then as you move through the queue, then you can either, well, let's say you send out those 100 emails, each one as you send it out, you could delete that out of the queue and just be done with it. Or maybe you want to have some sort of archive so you know how many have been sent and so forth. So you could have another uh, table where you can store statistics or you could send them to another uh, uh, database table that says they're complete. I mean, there's few different ways that you can handle cleaning them up but you obviously want to get them out of that queue because you've already sent them that email All right so that's the basic idea of what you're trying to do here and again what it allows you to do is offload resource intensive tasks tasks that will slow down your user experience into a queue and then process them in the background now as i mentioned this is uh i saw this as a tutorial over on phpclasses.org it's how to use queue the queue or how to use queue to speed up php processing tasks part one queuing slow tasks of course i'll i'll have the link over at johnmorrisonline.com slash 53 on the show notes page so you can head on over there and you can find the link to that tutorial all right so that'll wrap it up for our text section Next, we're going to be talking about the little talked about secret to success on Upwork. I'm going to be talking about how you can uh, get clients uh, to trust you before they see your Upwork profile and how you can get out from underneath the algorithms that Upwork uses that so many people oftentimes find tends to reward those who are already successful. So if you're somebody who's new to Upwork, you'll especially want to pay attention to this segment. And then of course later we'll wrap up with your Q&A questions. All right, we'll be back after this. You're listening to the John Morris show on johnmorrisonline.com. 
So I just realized something. I'm always harping on how important creating blog content is for getting new clients to your web design business. But what if you don't have a blog and you're not sure how to get one set up? Well, don't worry because I've just created a new tutorial on how to start your blog in less than 15 minutes. So in less than 15 minutes from now, you could have your blog up and running and creating content that's gonna help you attract new clients for your web design business. In order to take this tutorial, you wanna head on over to johnsbloggingtutorial.com. Again, that's johnsbloggingtutorial.com. Head on over and let's get your blog started today. All right, welcome back to the John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. In this segment, we're gonna be talking about the little talked about secret to success on Upwork. Now, what's nice about this little secret is that A, it allows you to gain exposure and get noticed in a way that's not controlled by Upwork. So you're not a victim uh, of their algorithms and you can kind of uh, outflank their algorithms, so to speak. Now, this is especially important if you're somebody who's new because Upwork does tend to reward people who've been on Upwork for a while, who have been successful, the rich get richer type setup. And, and there's reasons why Upwork's not evil. Their, their goal is to connect the best freelancers, uh, or the best clients with the best freelancers for that particular project. And so they have a built-in incentive to reward uh, freelancers who've proven that they can deliver. And there's a lot of new developers and freelancers out there who will tell you up and down that they're reliable, they work hard, this and that, but when it actually comes time to do it, uh, maybe don't show up like they should. So Upwork is really just basing it off of uh, put your money where your mouth is type type deal. So there's a lot of good reasons why Upwork does that. But if you're new and you're someone who is good and is reliable, it can still be difficult to get around those algorithms. And so this method allows you to, to do that a little bit. It also allows you to build trust before a client sees your profile, which makes it easy to hire you. It allows them to get to know you outside of just your profile and you trying to sell them on your services. And so they get to know a little bit of your personality. They get to see... Uh, your skill set, they get to to essentially sample your work beforehand. If, think about the supermarket and you go and um, you know, one of those little stands where you can sample different meats and cheeses and so forth. They give you a sample. You know, you may not like the sample, but that's also the point, right? The point isn't for you to like every sample. The point is for you to try it and decide. And that's what makes sampling so effective is you can get a taste of it. And then if you like it, then you can get more. You can go buy the product. And if you don't, then you know, hey, I don't like that. I'm not going to waste my money. And it's a great experience for that particular company and you as a consumer all the way around because they don't sell you a product you don't want and then you begrudge having spent money on it. Um, and you get to taste it and try it beforehand before making the purchase. And so this is what this method allows you to do is sample a little bit uh, and, and let clients get to know you and trust you before they see you on Upwork. 
It also, and this is one that maybe kind of flies under the radar, it allows you to set pricing expectations outside of the competitive environment of Upwork. This is huge because if you've ever worked on Upwork or the old Elance and Odesk for any amount of time, then you know how it uh, how it worked. <laughs> you you would bid on a there'd be a project you'd go bid on it and there'd be thirty other people that would bid on that project and there'd be quite a few of them who would really lowball the project and if you had a client who wasn't savvy and hadn't been on there for a while they'd probably go for the lowest price. Uh, now savvy clients begin to understand that that's not always the best way to go but uh, there's a lot of clients on there who are new to the environment and and so forth and so when you're in that environment that competitive environment you you kind of feel forced to compete with those people lowballing uh, what this does is it allows you act to actually set those pricing expectations outside of that competitive environment and let clients know what you charge going in so that when they're uh, creating a project and inviting you and so forth, they they already know what the expectation is. All right, so what is this little talked about secret? Well, it, it's building your own audience outside of Upwork, outside of the site, not relying 100% on Upwork to do all the work for you. I actually relate it to instructors over on Udemy. The most successful instructors over on Udemy are ones that build their, an audience outside of Udemy who don't just rely 100% on Udemy to sell their courses for them. Those are the most successful instructors. The most successful freelancers on Upwork are the ones who do that same thing. And so you can see when you do this, you can start to build your own audience and then point that audience towards your Upwork profile. And so now you have your own exposure outside of the competitive environment of Upwork. They're, they're seeing you before they ever see you listed next to everybody else on a job proposal. You're also letting them sample what you do because they're, they're getting to know you outside of, uh, again, that Upwork environment. And you can also set price expectations. So you need to be building your own audience outside of any freelancing site, whether it's Upwork or any other. Uh, if you and frankly, if you you know if you want to sell your own courses on a site like Udemy or on your own site, you need to be building an audience outside of these big conglomerate sites, whatever it is. All right. So here's what I suggest that you do right now. First, you need to decide what works for you: video, or written, or even audio, like a podcast like this. Now, video is ultimately the best, but Audio and written still work plenty fine, but you need to decide on a format. So, you know, maybe you you feel comfortable jumping on a video or jumping on an audio and, and talking, uh, and you feel like that's you work better that way. Then that's going to be the way that you go. Maybe you don't, and you'd rather do written documentation or or written information. Then that's fine, but you need to decide which one you're going to do. Next, you need to decide on a niche. So, you know, you, you need to decide. For me, I built membership sites. You need to decide on a specific niche like that. Not PHP, HTML, CSS. That doesn't mean anything to anybody. Clients don't understand that. They need to know you build membership sites or, you know, you do uh, Ajax forms or 
You need to give them something outside of just the technical jargon that we all use. You need to pick a sort of niche that you're going to do. Maybe it's e-commerce or maybe you're a designer and so you're going to do designs or maybe you're a WordPress expert. Whatever it is, you need to decide on a niche. So decide on a format, decide on a niche, and then from there, you need to get busy creating DIY tutorials for your potential clients. So if you're gonna, let's say you're gonna do what I did, uh, you're gonna build membership sites. You'd start doing, creating DIY tutorials on building a membership site. You know, you might say, okay, there's, there's a number of different um, platforms that you could use. And you could say, well, here's, you know, WordPress versus Joomla versus Drupal as an example. And then maybe, or you could be on, say you're gonna do WordPress and you could say, well, there's a number of different membership site plugins for WordPress. So here's plugin A, here's plugin B, here's plugin C. Here's how you choose which one is gonna be best for your membership site. Here's how to go in and set up all this. Like everything that you would do as their developer, if you were building their membership site, you could do tutorials on. Now, you might say, well, wait a second. If I show them how to do everything, why are they going to hire me? People don't hire you because they don't know how to do it. There's not a lack of information. I should rephrase that. Some people don't hire you because they don't know how to do it. But those people don't care to know. That's the that's what's primary to it. Okay. So there's plenty of information. If someone wanted to go out and figure out how to do this, I mean, you probably learned how to code off the internet like I have. So the information is out there. There's not a scarcity of information. It's about convenience. They're going to hire you because they just don't want to do it or they don't want to mess it up. You know, those are the reasons why they're going to hire you. So you can create all of the DIY tutorials, show them how to do absolutely everything, make them great, informative, and you're going to get clients from it. In fact, you'll get more clients, the better the tutorials are because you'll gain a bigger audience because you're making great tutorials and those people will trust you more because you made great tutorials. So you need to get busy creating those tutorials for your potential clients, for your niche. You don't want to create just a bunch of haphazard stuff. You need to be creating it for your specific niche. And then at the end of those tutorials, always include a, bur a blurb at the end that says something like, you don't want to do this yourself, you know, why hassle with all the headaches? Let an expert do it. Don't risk screwing it up. Whatever. Check out my profile on Upwork here. And the more popular your tutorials get, the more people are going to see that. The more they're going to see it after having consumed your content, sampled what it is that you do, gained some trust for you, probably checked out your services page and seen how much you charge so the pricing expectations are set. And now they're going to go over to Upwork and oh, by the way, and I know this from experience, they're not just going to go over to Upwork and submit a project and hope that you find it. They're probably going to email you first and you could tell them to go over there or they're going to go over to Upwork and they're going to invite you right away. Uh, and if you get the chance to talk to them beforehand, you can tell them to make it an invite only project and invite you only. And then you're just competing with yourself, which is what I always did. So that's the way that you get around Upwork. Now, I look, I get it all the time. People don't want, you don't want to do it. You don't want to create these tutorials. You don't want to put in the work. I don't know what to tell you. There's not, <laughs> you know, there, being a developer has things that come with it. If you want to be a freelancer, 
there are certain requirements to being successful. It doesn't just happen. And if you're over on Upwork pulling your hair out going, why can't I get clients? This is your way out. You got to put in the work and do it. Uh, and if you do, and if you really you know, focus and make good tutorials, it'll happen. It might take a little bit of time, but it'll happen. And when it happens, it starts to get to a point where you can't turn it off. I tried to turn off my service offerings about a year ago. It can't, I can't turn it off. I get people, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight people a month who, even though I've said publicly time and time again, I don't take on projects anymore, who contact me. You can't turn it off. And so uh, you end up to a point where you don't even have to be on Upwork if you don't want to. But then beyond that, make sure you post once a week. This is how I suggest you manage this. A, post at least once a week. Create, create a three-month calendar of upcoming tutorials. So take a weekend, sit down, and say, okay, I'm going to do one tutorial a week. I need to get a three-month lag of ideas. So I'm going to come up with 12 tutorial ideas. And I'm going to schedule them on the calendar. I'm going to do this one this week, this one this week, this one this week. And you sit down, you brainstorm, and come up all those those ideas. Maybe do keyword research search through forums. You can do all of this easily in about a day uh, and sit down and create your three-month calendar. So you're not coming up with tutorial ideas on the fly. You have a three-month calendar out and then set time aside each week to knock it out. Now, if you really want to be proactive, do those tutorials ahead of time. Maybe on a weekend, knock out two instead of one. And now you have the next two weeks covered and the next week, talk, knock out two until you have your three-month lag already completed you know after a month or so and so you're ahead of the game or do three or do four whatever works for you but get yourself ahead of the game so it's not on you every month or every week to create that tutorial you, you do that and you're going to be ahead of the game and creating those tutorials is going to be a heck of a lot easier All right so that this is really on this is if you want to know what it takes to be successful on Upwork, like you can go on Upwork and create a good profile and do a lot of stuff and hope, but if you want to have control of it, if you want to do something that you know is going to work, this is the way to do it. So, uh, if you if you want control of of your your success as a freelancer, then start building your audience outside of that. And the way you do that is is by creating really good content DIY tutorials for your potential clients. All right, so I'll kind of end on that little rant about freelancing. Coming up in the next segment, I'm going to be answering your questions. So these are questions I receive via email, on YouTube, on Twitter, and about every other place. All right, so Q&A coming up next. You're listening to The John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. Hey, everybody, here's a quick one for you. We all know how important creating blog content is to attract new clients to your web design business. But oftentimes, those first few members of your audience can be difficult to get. Well, I want to help try and get you over that hump and help you get your first few followers. Now, I have a, an audience of over 20,000 YouTube subscribers, email list subscribers, and roughly 30,000 visitors to my website each and every month. And I'd have no problem promoting your website to that audience and helping you get those first few visitors. Now, to get the details on this, you'll have to head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash publicity. 
but you'll need to do it before you actually start your blog. So head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash publicity and let me help you get those first few visitors and those first few members of your audience. All right, welcome back to the John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. And in this segment, I'm going to be answering your questions. Now, before I get into these questions, if you have a question that you'd like to send me, you can shoot it on over to john at johnmorrisonline.com via email. Or you can hit me up over on Twitter at JP Morris or on YouTube at youtube.com slash John Morris video. All right. So the first question that I'm going to tackle here is it says, I'm looking for tutorials or courses to help me one, build a simple form to collect data like a registration page and two, send automated emails from the form that was submitted. So fairly standard thing that you're probably going to do in a lot of situations you need a form to collect data and then as a result of that send out some automated emails all right so i'm going to give you kind of three pieces of advice here first don't be afraid to consider an existing solution something like wordpress druma drupal um, in the other parts of your question i kind of summarize the question here uh, for the show, but you mentioned that you are kind of in charge of the web presence for your company. Well, make it easy on yourself, right? You don't have to write everything from scratch. Not everything has to be a custom solution. In fact, I would recommend against it most of the time, simply because something like a WordPress or a Joomla, there's more people using it. So the functionality gets gone through more, the security gets gone through more, it's gonna just work better and it's gonna be more secure. Now, you could do the debate thing all day about which one you should choose, that's fine. But don't don't be afraid to consider an, uh, an existing solution for this and your entire web presence. Don't make it too hard on yourself. You don't have to do everything custom. Uh, and standard issues like this are often handled much more easily. I mean, I could think of a couple WordPress plugins off the top of my head who that would do this exact thing. There's several of them out there, and there's a few that are long established, you know, good, secure plugins that have a good reputation, good support team behind them that would do this kind of thing. So this would be easy inside of a WordPress site. Um, even, you know, I know there's things like, well, we want to do this and we want to do that. You can still, you know, you can code on WordPress. You can code on Joomla. You can add things to it. You got to get to know the environment a little bit. But the advantage of that is things like this, you don't have to worry about because there's already uh, things in place to handle it. So that's the first thing. You know, don't don't uh, rule that out as an option. However, I understand that you may want to do kind of roll roll your own, so to speak. So there's a couple different um, tutorials that I would point you to. One is a tutorial over on InMotionHosting.com. Again, I'll provide the links, johnmorrisonline.com slash 53. It's how to create a custom PHP contact form with validation. So this is going to help you to create the contact form um, and storing information. Or, or I believe this one is actually sending it via email. So this is going to help you with the actual form and the email sending and so forth. So uh, that's a good start to uh, kind of get you down the path and then you can kind of mold it to your specific needs. 
Also, I have a tutorial how to insert form data into a MySQL database using PHP. So this is going to cover the uh, data insertion portion. Again, uh, it's, if you want to go over to youtube.com slash John Morris video and just do a search for insert form data, you'll probably find it. Um, otherwise, you can go to johnmorrisonline.com slash 53 and I'll have the link there. Finally, if you really, uh, you know, you don't want to piece together tutorials, you want to, um, you know, you want to really just master this whole thing and it be done with it forever so you know it, then there is a tutorial over on Udemy that I would recommend. Uh, it's about creating, uh, and the nice thing about this is that it's about creating not only a PHP and MySQL, but integrating Ajax into that. So it's a smooth looking form. Right? It's a, one of those fancy forms that uses Ajax. All right, so again, you can go to johnmorrisonline.com slash 53, and I will have the link there for you for that. It's a pretty long link here, so I'm not even going to try and say it. All right, so those are the three recommendations I would give you in terms of tutorials. Again, first, don't co uh, consider a an existing solution. Second, the InMotion hosting tutorial, my tutorial on youtube.com, and then the Udemy course. All right, so you can head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash 53 for those links. Next question that I'm going to tackle is, is PDO the definitive method to connect to MySQL? And so this is a bait that I think rages back and forth. I mean, there's people who love PDO. There's people, as a matter of fact, who hate PDO, even though it's, in my opinion, a pretty useful little tool. There's people who just don't like it. So my answer to this is not necessarily, I, I don't think there, you could call it the definitive method that everybody agrees on. I, I, I think that would be misleading to say everybody agrees on anything. And the reason that is, is MySQLi has some advantages and, uh, over PDO and PDO has some over MySQLi. It's, it can be a trade-off. So things like MySQL does seem to have a bit of a performance edge currently on PDO. Uh, so that's one thing to consider. It's not, it's fairly insignificant. So it's not something that uh, would be a deal breaker to, to anybody. But it is a slight, seems to be a slight performance uh, gain with MySQLi. MySQLi, you can um, write both in OOP or in object-oriented programming and procedural. Again, most applications, that's probably not going to be an issue because you're going to be wanting to operate based off of object-oriented programming, but you may be in a situation where, for some reason, you need to use procedural code, and my MySQLi, you can do that. Uh, PDO, you know, some of its advantages, the main one is it connects with 12 different drivers. I mean, that's the thing that everybody talks about when they they think of PDO. So uh, you can connect a whole bunch of different types of different databases outside of just MySQL. Also, one that I think I particularly pay attention to is the named parameters. With my MySQLi, you essentially have anonymous parameters, but with PDO, you can use named parameters. So that makes it a little bit more handy. It's not, Again, it's not a huge thing, but it's just slight differences. What I think is most important is A, to look at the environment you're working in. Are you going to be working in an environment where being able to connect to different types of databases and do that kind of thing is important? 
If so, then you're probably going to want to go with PDO. So the environment that you're working in, and if you're not in that type of environment, you know you're always going to be writing PHP and My, MySQL, then you know that's not really a big advantage for you. So maybe you can stick with MySQL if you're more comfortable with it. And, and that's the second thing. So the first one is the environment you're working in. The second one is what you're comfortable with, what you like using. So both can do the job effectively. It just comes down to a matter of the situation and what you personally prefer. Me, I, I use my SQLi. I don't, there's not any projects that I work on that ever require another database or frankly ever will. Um, and, you know, I'm just, it's what I learned first. I'm used to the syntax. Um, and so that's what I use. But if I were to be in an environment where PDO became more advantageous, I wouldn't have a problem switching. All right, so those are the answers to those two questions. That'll wrap up the Q&A section here. Again, if you have a question you'd like to ask me, uh, you'd like me to ask on the show, you can shoot hit me up on email, john at johnmorrisonline.com, twitter at jpmorris, or youtube.com slash johnmorrisvideo. All right, so that'll wrap it up for this episode. Hopefully you enjoyed the episode. Hopefully you found it informative and entertaining. Um, and be sure to let me know what you think of the new format. All right, so thanks for listening. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, shoot me an email at john at johnmorrisonline.com. If you like the show, I'd appreciate it if you give it a like and share it with the communities and people that you think will benefit. Finally, you can always find all my tutorials and podcast episodes and more on johnmorrisonline.com, at jpmorris on Twitter, and youtube.com slash John Morris video. And don't let me forget, for all the links and all the information regarding this uh, episode, you can head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash 53. All right, thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.